Hello, happy holidays. We you are wrapping it up. Hopefully, you have hopefully it was fantastic. Welcome to Forbidden Cinema. My name is Jenny. Hey, I'm Zach, and we are going deeper on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes, the wild, wacky ride that is family frivolity. It is Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. And uh, I guess you'll be listening to this tomorrow, but hope everybody had a great time. Hope everybody, nobody's family drove them stark raving bonkers. <laughs> and, uh, and on to it. So uh, we talked about the other vacation movies. Yes. Uh, I think we're going to save some of that. Okay. I started to do some research and I looked into them to um, vacation and to European vacation. Mm-hmm. I feel I think we're going to do a full episode probably on each of them sometime in the next okay, year. So I'm sure. going to save a little bit of the research if that's okay with you. Sure, that works for me. Okay. One thing I do want to go into is you you were uh, thinking about Sparky, his nickname. Right, correct. And you I were didn't wondering remember. what the origin was. Yes. Well, um, either they say they don't remember either that or they're just deciding to take it to their graves. Both Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase have both said that it's just something that she calls him in real life and has called him for... 30 years. Huh. That's interesting. Because I think she calls him that, like, from the beginning. I feel like it's a nickname not just from this particular movie in the the list. I think it's all of the movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe 40 years if you want to. It's just the, something that she called him as a nickname, not on set. And then, you know, it just snuck into a take and they said, go with it. Is uh, so, so they're that longstanding of friends? I mean, apparently there's not many people that really like Chevy Chase, and she seems to still keep coming back. <laughs> so. Well, there you go. I mean, I guess I guess so. Um, so we wanted to talk about um, National Lampoon and John Hughes and just where this whole right, thing Right, the came whole mix from. of things, so yeah. apologize if you can hear papers flipping. I went all over the place on this, <laughs> and um, I actually was able to find the entire publication history of National Lampoon magazine. So I've been spending a lot of time reading National Lampoon from the 70s and 80s, and it's not helping my psyche very well. Okay. So I'm probably going to discontinue that soon. All right, soon. so done today. <laughs> so National Lampoon is a spinoff of the Harvard Lampoon magazine. Okay. You had said that it was sort of mixed between Playboy magazine and Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually found a page of their, where they basically consider themselves that. Well, there we go. So, yeah. You, they they are putting it right out there. Yeah. I said it kind of seems like maybe your dad's magazine or maybe, yeah. maybe yeah, yeah. Heavy Metal magazine was kind of older brother or weird uncle's magazine. And I feel like this was kind of like dad's magazine or maybe uncle magazine. So it's supposed to be – it sees it – obviously, if it's a spinoff of like a Harvard publication, it sees itself a little smarter and a little bit kind of – maybe not highbrow, but smarter than your average Joe – I feel like they kind of saw themselves as very lowbrow and low taste and surreal Mm -hmm. and felt that that maybe made them highbrow. And they're not the only person in the 70s to go that way. Right, to really flip it on its head and and be subversive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three gentlemen by the names of uh, Kenny Beard and Hoffman that founded it. Okay. Um, They described themselves as the first non-Jewish voice in humor in about 30 years, which they made very... Careful, whatever to say, we're not trying to be anti-Semitic by that, but that at the time in 1969, that uh, most humor had a very Jewish kind of self-defense spin to it. Most stand-up comedians at the time, I think you had to still be Jewish to be a member of the Friars Club at the time. Okay, so so we're talking about an era of, I mean, excellent comedians, but Mel. Brooks. I mean, are you even talking about potentially the Three Stooges and Three the Stooges, Marx early Brothers? Woody Allen, the Marx Brothers, okay. all of that stuff. So they're saying it's just humor coming from a different perspective. Okay. And you can see all there, there's some there's some continuity in all of that humor. Right. There is. Yeah. I mean, it it's it's definitely part of like you're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they interesting thing about that is everything in the magazine is parody. The advertisements in the magazine are parody. Okay. Even the the magazines for real things are still sort of written in a in a parodic style, except for they have true facts as like a two page spread. <laughs> they're oftentimes they're photos of um, funny wedding titles, you know, like the Wiener Whack Off wedding or the whatever you Got know people it. that have okay. two the the big butts wedding or whatever people Got have it. the two names that just it just go together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Serendipitous, yeah, or. Um, uh, names it's, it's a lot of times it's kind of 
Asian names on tombstones and or signs that maybe don't work so well. Yeah, I mean, no one is no one is ever going to say that all of this stuff ages well. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. Or just humorous signs in general. Like I believe in um, in Chattanooga, we have our stubs, prosthetics, and orthopedics, and <laughs> right. that, that actually has made the National Lampoon okay. true facts. And uh, interesting thing that I thought was. A lot of stuff that I looked at on the internet, just early jokes and funny pictures of funny advertising and funny, mm-hmm. all came straight from these pages. Oh, we were just okay. scans of these pages. Okay. So people realizing, kind of creating their own, it's like meme culture in a way. It's like this already It was meme existed. culture before. Yes, before. Got it. Cool. Uh, they had their um, photo funnies, which are, are you familiar with, with that t- even type of, where you take photos of people and then write in the comic balloons? Yeah, them. I feel like that's a lot of like um, cards, like birthday cards and things like that mm-hmm. kind of do of, that. A lot of early men's magazines and still soft porn and pornography was produced like that as well. Okay. I think I was looking through those like Chevalier magazines and stuff and a, mm-hmm. a lot of those pictorials have that kind of aesthetic to them as well. And a lot of these feature Gilbert Gottfried before he was uh, ready for prime time. Oh, weird. Just random photos of Gilbert well, it Gottfried? Was mostly the writers on staff, and okay. then they would hire nude models to be in the things with them, and that okay. was a little weird. It, huh. I, was not, I don't think I was ready for the amount of nudity in the magazine. It's pretty prevalent. It's, okay, so, but because it's not, it doesn't put itself out there that way. It just is. It's kind of you're assuming that you understand what you're getting into. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I like mean, there was a disclaimer have, like a decade ago, and it just it was supposed to cover all. I mean, per- some of the, there's an episode that has a the cover as a woman in a wet T-shirt and says this T-shirt offends women, and so you know you, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? Okay. In the early '70s, in its heyday, Mad Magazine had a, a, a circulation of two million, Playboy seven million, TV Guide nineteen million. Okay. Uh, had an average circulation of about 830,000, so nothing to really raise your nose at. No, it wasn't not in mainstream. But it was not mainstream, but it was not... Not nothing, I It guess. was not nothing. I guess, yeah, if Mad Magazine was 2 million, this is, you know, about you half of that. one-fourth of college-age males read Playboy magazine, and they sold 7 million copies. Okay. And so, and so, you know, a seventh of that are reading National Lampoon. So there's people reading this magazine. Yeah, that's definitely some crossover... They had a stage and radio show okay, in, in 74 uh, starring John Belushi, Chevy Chase, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Brian Doyle Murray, Harold Ramis, and Richard Belzer. Okay. So how did – so this was 74? This was the 70 through 74. So if you – When yeah, did these people much hit SNL? SCTV and SNL basically completely obliterated their stage show by hiring all their actors. Got it. So yeah, this was this was you can see starting National Lampoon from the early '70s was starting to be the most dominant voice in comedy for another generation, probably. Yeah, it, but it definitely feels yeah. I mean, they they knew like okay, we need to pull from these actors. These actors are already being seen. I mean, you got Gilda Radner. I've only ever affiliated her with was she SCTV Saturday Night Live. I knew she was Saturday Night Live, but I mean, I knew. Other some of those other people came from SCTV. Um, Richard Belzer, that's so funny. I only think of him from like Law and Order. I just think of him from the Richard Belzer show and on the lead up to uh, WrestleMania that uh, Hulk Hogan accidentally choked him unconscious on the show. Oh my god! Showing how to do a chokehold. That's hilarious. I believe he says, "You give it a little crankarooski." Right Crank. as he goes uh, unconscious. Bye bye. <laughs> no, like for real. Like he and Ice T are partners a lot on SVU. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. I think uh, Mr. T is like, it's okay. He's just going to a little sleep, you know. <laughs> and there's the first impression. <laughs> <laughs> so seventy five, their staff is obliterated by these two new comedy shows coming out. Uh, they hire John Hughes, okay, to be their new lead writer. Uh, so publication drastically declines. Uh, there are John Hughes does write Vacation 58 and Christmas 59. Okay, so kind of a inkling of this. Yes, Christmas 59 is actually the short story that this is based on. Which, okay, so when he's up in the attic, 
the reel. Why doesn't it say Christmas 59 instead of Christmas 55? It says Christmas 59 on the the reel. Okay. But not on the video, on the the film. It says 55. There's where Christmas 59 comes from is that's the title of the short story this is based on. Yeah, it it does. Because I remember seeing that. I was like, oh, 59. But then like, oh, wait, no, it says Christmas 55. Maybe it goes... If he kept watching it, maybe it's 55 through 59. It's like all of the Christmas. I don't know. But it does say on the can, 59. But good job. Good job on including that little detail. <laughs> I, was, I was upset because I was listening to this episode and thinking, why didn't they say 59? But good job on, on that little detail they included. There was a hostile takeover in 89 by uh, Tim Matheson. Do you know him? He was Otter in yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, Animal House. And he's mm-hmm. been in several things. And by a publisher, Daniel Grodnick. So are you familiar with the hostile takeover? I mean, basically, they just kind of buy, like, undermine. It's an undermining takeover, kind of, right? Assemble a group of investors that are able to get at least 51% mm-hmm. of the outstanding stock and then just kind of vote yourself the new CEO and, right, and get like rid of the, of the previous board. board. So like, uh, the, nobody cares the question. I was just getting ready to ask. So... Moving Go ahead. On. No, I was just going to ask, like, so were they publicly traded? Like, were they, what was their deal in order to be able to have a hostile I, takeover? I can't tell you if they were publicly traded or if they were able to As just get magazine. enough uh, investors. I don't know that. I, <laughs> just, I can, do you want me to deep no, dive that even no, farther? It's okay. it's okay. I'm sure <laughs> nobody cares. It's just like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> two years later, in 91, they sold it for two, or excuse me, or three times profit two years later. So, so say all you want it. about capitalism. But the share price was three times in the sale what it, they had acquired it for. Okay, well, good for them. So everybody that owned stock, so did that's very why we haven't well. never seen Tim Matheson ever again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he directs TV now. I mean, he's a little swarmy. I don't know. The company that bought it was required to publish one issue a year in order to keep the National Lampoon name. Okay. I don't know if you know much about National Lampoon in the history, but at this point, the magazine was not being. Very well sold. No, you are the pro- the, um, the resident expert, expert. <laughs> on, on what's happening. So, no. <laughs> what do you know about National Lampoon movies in, in this time? That's what I was curious because I knew that it was a publication. I knew that there were also movies, but I didn't really know how they came to be and like... The company that bought it, this mm-hmm. J2 Publications, really was bought it as a licensing so they could license, so you could be a National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1 with Emilio Estevez. Or okay. National Lampoon's Last Resort with Corey Feldman. Gotcha. Or National Lampoon's whatever. That's what they were making their money on. The okay. publication business was completely on the side. So it was just like a natural progression into media that was more popular. They were just buying a brand. Okay. They were just buying a brand that they could license the brand to, I think much like Playboy has, has happened as as well that mm-hmm. people buy the brand so they could license its logo and its name to other things okay um, they continued to publish until 1998 the pu- issue count was started about eight and then sort of declined to they were only publishing one issue a year and then and then gone so since then there have been many 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 straight to video terrible national lampoon films national lampoons gold diggers dorm days barely legal wasn't dorm days Eve. doesn't one of these have ryan reynolds in them i think you're thinking of van wilder i am thinking of van, van Wilder's wilder part of the is, is still part of the j2 communications so it's, it's still okay. when there's some concern for what we were doing here. Gotcha. Uh, Van Wilder 2, The Rise of Taj, less so. Got it. Okay. Who would have thought that he would work for the White House? I know. <laughs> That's nuts. But yeah, all the barely legal, basically just a bunch of softcore porn, sad films that, uh, that yeah. And uh, so that's pretty much that. Okay. So how did, and you may not like, so pretty much we got the shift as people leave in this in the mid seventies to go to SNL and SCTV that were part of this this phase, then we've got movies happening in the late eighties that star these people again. Yeah, everything from Animal House to Christmas Vacation were actually official publications by the by the editorial staff. Okay, so um, so we have Animal House, Class Reunion, which was the first John Hughes movie, which is apparently a huge stinker. I don't even know anything about that. Yeah, <laughs> No, never heard of it. Movie Madness, then, of course, Vacation, then mm-hmm. The Joy of Sex, and then uh, European Vacation and Christmas Vacation. Okay. They were very, very prolific at parodies of The Joy of Sex. <laughs> so uh, okay. I'll invite you to... Oh, I'm I'm being handed a Christmas gift. <laughs> so I tell a... you, when I go deep, I go deep. 
That sounds dangerously ominous. Um, so I'm on air unwrapping a present that I literally don't know anything about. Ah. So it is a paperback National Lampoon, a working man's guide to productive lovemaking, <laughs> illustrated with pictures. The job of sex. So this is... I, I, I really want to read some of these reviews, but I haven't read it before, so I don't know what's really going to be funny. But <laughs> this is the best book that has ever been written in the world, and that includes Moby Dick and Gone with the Wind. Reviews for a dollar. Let's see. Oga Booga Booga Catch 22. Gazuga Bazooga The Godfather. I don't even know. Oh, no. This is the Uganda Examiner. That's awful. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, we we said I've, some of this stuff. I retract was, that. Was not going Sorry. to age well. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when when did this? Oh yeah, does, we got some illustrations, just some like line drawings. We've got hmm, quite a few things. Yep, interesting. What's the date on this? 1974. So this is a. Uh, is it the oldest book on the Forbidden Bookshelf now? For. Forbidden, yes, it is quite forbidden. Yeah, copyright 1974. Let's see, first printing May 1974, second printing July 1974, right before my parents got married. All right. Like, so, yeah. So this could have been a, a bachelor party gift. or Probably not. I'm trying to think who would have been part of my... Did my parents even have bachelor and bachelor? Probably not. Like, that's a whole conversation about... I, that. I don't know anything about bachelorette and bachelor parties, like other than from movies, and I don't think that that's what my parents did. I feel like before the Tom Hanks bachelor party movie, they probably weren't quite as ubiquitous with with all the crazy debauchery and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I still want to think that there were a lot of bachelor parties of just a bunch of dudes at the lodge or at the National Guard armory with a bed sheet and an eight millimeter projector and a bunch of cigars. I just want to think that that's that was a thing. I'm sorry. Seeing some of the sexual positions that are... I'm seeing some of the, just like, the sexual mishaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really assuming you don't know where to go from here. <laughs> All right. It is a very beginner's Beginner's manual. guide. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is interesting. The back says, The job of sex is the first lovemaking manual to take sex out of the dimly lit, airless sweatshop of yesterday and package it in the suit to to suit the modern consuming needs of today's active sexes. The job of sex is based on the practical on-the-job experiences of hardworking orgasm technicians under the supervision of sex industry professionals. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But anyway... Interesting. I looked long and hard to try to find you a prop of some sort of <laughs> film or, or some sort of screen used wardrobe or something from something that we have done over that we've spent almost a year doing this together. And I just thought that would be such a great Christmas <laughs> gift was to find a piece of the making of one of those films and really came up empty handed there. The props market is not really an active on auctions right now. So. Nobody's nobody's digging. Nobody's in those spaces digging through and finding the the last lost whatever because everybody's nobody's hardly on set. I mean, like, just go dig through some prop warehouses. Surely there's nobody else out there. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a very very socially distanced thing to do. <laughs> go catalog some old props and do, sell that crap at a, at a online auction. I'm sure someone could probably get away with selling a lot of things that they don't have. They shouldn't have access to. It in seems an like auction. the kind of time where you'd steal some ruby slippers or something. It does. It does. I mean, George Clooney, if you're out there, call me. <laughs> We're planning a heist. <laughs> okay, so that's about what I have to say about uh, National Lampoon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you wanted to talk about the location of this house. Yes. Like, where is it? Is in the? Is it in the Hughes neighborhood? It is not. Okay. This uh, house is set in suburban Chicago, like mm -hmm. all the other Hughes. It's actually filmed on the Warner Brothers back lot. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe this house is next door to the house in Lethal Weapon. Okay, okay, I can visualize that. So, yeah, so you've seen this house many, many other times. Actually, was able to find, I don't know if we don't really own the photographs, but if you Google it, you can see what this house looks like in more recent times. All the wallpaper's gone, all the green uh, carpet is gone. It's It's got hardwood floors <laughs> and white walls. It, it's it, been uh, redone. They, they called the Magnolia people, had them come do a fixer-upper. <laughs> Okay, so um, you were thinking about some movie and you couldn't quite come up with it. 
about people younger and older. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That like was not the yellow jackets, but kind of, but like what was, it wasn't scary. It's just like girls coming of ages, something like that. Yeah. The movie you're thinking of is Now and Then. Okay. Yes. So um, Rosie O'Donnell is one of the characters played mm-hmm. by Christina Ritchie, younger. So that's okay. that's exactly, I think, where your brain was, was getting yes. that from. Yes, But kind of interesting, though, that uh, Melanie Griffith mm-hmm. was played by Thora Birch. Okay. I could... It was a very early role by Thora Birch. Mm-hmm. Probably the same era as uh, Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah, a little after and... Hocus Pocus, probably. Do you know Carol, uh, excuse me, Thora Birch's mom? No. Carol Connor is one of the stars of Deep Throat, of all things. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So if you're ever curious about um, <laughs> if you're like, hey, that, that girl had an interesting career. I want to see your mom boinking on camera. No, not really. Okay. Well, if you, if you change your mind, okay. it's available. Cool. Good to know. Options. <laughs> it, it is on various media. Okay. So we have Demi Moore. Uh-huh. So Demi Moore is back again. Yes. And uh, she's played by Gabby Hoffman. Okay. Young actress. I feel like, okay. So I was thinking Curly Sue. You were thinking... What did I just say? I, uh, I was thinking maybe Hook, Hook but Hook is a, Hook is chick from in um, Madeline. No, not Madeline. The one with Danny DeVito and what is that? Matilda. 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 Yes. Yeah, she's in that. That's who I was thinking of, but that's who that is in Hook. Debbie um, Hoffman is Field of Dreams okay. and Uncle Buck. Okay, the, she's a funny little kid. She I mean, is. She's funny she in Uncle is. Buck. Okay, so she's then also the friend in Sleepless in Seattle that like only pretty much talks in um, acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like B Y B. Oh man, oh man. Um, she's had a bit of a, a later career resurgence, though. I believe she was in many, many episodes of Girls. Oh, okay. And is in some like Magical Adventures of Crystal Fairy with. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be like the last chance that uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Michael. Michael Sarah. Yes. Yeah. He like when when Michael Sarah was still relevant and kind of ending. Like I think she was coming back. Okay. So we had to we had to sacrifice Michael Sarah to the uh, to the gods of the underworld in that. This is this is the end movie, right? <laughs> I mean, it took a. We it got was, Gabby Hoffman. He back. was hard to kill, though. He was, he was really hard to kill. Okay, so trade for my, Gabby Hoffman. Let's we'll check out what she's doing. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to watch Girls, but it, it, it feels like we might have traded up. So <laughs> we'll see. Possibly, yeah. Um, and then we have Rita Wilson. Love Rita Wilson. Rita Wilson. Uh, Ashley um, Massey. Boy, I, I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> 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 That's. I think this last episode, you couldn't read any of your handwriting. No, I couldn't. I was like, I, I don't know what that mine. sentence says. Well, so we'll just go on with our lives. Sometimes and- we watch movies and it gets dark over the time and we don't adjust any light since they're just literally making notes in the dark. I mean, this I was like doing this research in the middle of the day. <laughs> I still can't <laughs> just read get so hand. excited just writing too fast. I know. It's uh, Ashley Aston Moore. Okay. So she um, pretty much left acting. Moved to British Columbia. Um, fortunately, had an accident with some heroin in the oh, no. late two thousands, and, and isn't with us anymore. That's so. sad. Seems like seems like maybe she was getting out. You know, a lot of these child stars have really tragic lives, and just kind of went on with their life, but it, it, it ended tragically. Didn't go well. So, That's yeah. sad. Rita Wilson. So Rita Wilson, um, you know, has a little bit of a musical career as well. And so we we're in Nashville. We've talked about that occasionally. So she has been at some, you know. Not like your giant venues, like some local venues. Um, I had a friend who went with some friends, like didn't kind of realize who they're going to see. And then realized that Tom Hanks is hanging out over in the back, you know, the back, just like watching Rita Wilson perform. And this particular person that I know has no chill, zero (laughs) chill whatsoever. And just shouts in the middle of like, and here's one thing about being in Nashville. There are a lot of celebrities but you have a silent agreement that you are not going to say anything. You're not going to follow them. You're not going to really go up to them. You're going to let them be. And that's why they come to Nashville, because we're all so cool. This person, not, not so Not cool. that person. The middle of City Winery just shouts, it's Evan Tom Hanks! And I'm like, <laughs> this is why you can't have nice things. Can't have nice things. So, yeah. I was like, really? Okay. 
I mean, I feel like Ted Danson has, has such a good life here that he doesn't he does. have to look he over his shoulder. He hangs and... out in the Franklin Square, him and Mary Steenberger, and just hitting up some local shops. And we're all like, hey, hey. You know, we've seen uh, What's-His-Face from... Um, uh... Oh, I wanted to go <laughs> and hug him so bad. We saw Billy Gibbons, and he was wearing his hat. Yeah, I mean, so if he's wearing his hat, he's like, I expect to be seen, y'all. He is not just incognito. No. He is wearing his hat hat mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there at Carabas drinking his beer out of his little pilsner glass and there's this lady and she is screaming at him <laughs> and screaming at him telling him to come to the table that he's being antisocial and he's just drinking his beer i don't ever see him say a word no i mean she just he's screams not at him, supposed spits to at he doesn't him, say he just, things he just sits um, there and looks cool. But I'm also feeling like we might have already told this story. So sorry, guys. It's a good enough story. It's a good enough story. And it was, yeah, it was a, like everyone's just like eating their food at Carabas. Like, I'm going to have some more bread. I'm going to have some 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 of my uh, Johnny order or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> some chicken Brian. Chicken and- Brian. Yeah, like just heads down, playing cool. But he's definitely on the brain. I was, you know, wrapping presents yesterday and there was a holiday episode of Bones. <laughs> on and they they were quarantined because you know they hit something and released some gases they were yeah some sort of but uh angela who's just like supremely cool she's like hey guys so you might recognize my dad like don't make it a thing and it's billy gibbons like (laughs) he just comes up and they're like talking between the glass and it's they don't even she doesn't even say who it is i just we just all know yeah, uh, the, the saddest moment of or the, the, the biggest regret of my life. And I might have said this on the podcast if we've told the story already is that I did not look out the window to see what kind of car he was driving. Mm, I know you didn't say that. I don't think you even told me that. Really? Oh, that's a huge regret in my life. I wanted to know <laughs> what he was driving so bad. He has a huge collection. Right, uh, right. No, that would that would definitely be cool to know. Um, so Christmas tree. Mm hmm. So uh, there's a story. I don't know if you've told it to me or if it's been told to me by somebody else. What do you know about the scorpions in a Christmas tree? The scorpions in a Christmas tree? Like just someone's experience with scorpions in a Christmas tree? Yes, yes. Is that you? No, it's not me. Okay, this is a story that's been told to me by somebody else over the years. Okay. They had the Christmas tree. And we have a Christmas tree here with a squirrel in it. But this yes. Christmas tree, they set up. Everything's fine. They wake up the next morning, and there are thousands of scorpions. Oh my gosh! All over that, their living room. that is a fainting situation. <laughs> Except for I'm terrified to faint because then you'd have scorp- you'd be, scorpions all over you. I just see they. I just see it as like one of those mummy movies where if you hit the ground, you're going to be consumed by whatever it is, like you know, ancient scarab bugs or whatever. I mean, this is something out of Poltergeist. Oh my gosh! It's going to like it's going to your body just cover scorpions, and it's just it's crawling across the room, just like a body shape pile of scorpions or, or the or the, the pile of scorpions just sort of like and then there's, there's, and there's nothing no there, there exactly <laughs> like those like the ant situation in the that last indiana jones oh, don't bring up that last indiana jones but, i had a really tragic situation happen in my personal life while the the film was broken and the movie was worse than what happened <laughs> i'm sorry babe but but yeah like definitely a situation like oh my gosh scorpions blah. <laughs> Have we mentioned that I'm drinking out of my Cousin Eddie Christmas mug? We have not. Okay, yes, I am definitely having some, uh, some a pretty nice rosé out of yeah, my Cousin yeah. Eddie Christmas mug. So. I don't know, LaMarca, I don't know if you sponsor stuff, but hey, loving your new rosé. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, I read Christmas 59. Mm-hmm. It's actually told from the perspective of Clark Griswold, but Clark is like nine years old. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. But it is very much, you can see the bones of the story that would become Christmas Vacation. Okay. You know, his dad is grumbling and, and about to lose it. I think it's Cousin Dave or something. It's not, or Uncle Dave. It's not Cousin Eddie. But you can see there's a Cousin Eddie like coming character. about. There is the the crazy aunt that wraps up her dog. Mm-hmm. And the dog does get electrocuted. Um, I think, though, the kind of the main joke in it, though, is that the grandparents bring over their new favorite son their foreign exchange student and you can tell john hughes just thinks asian stereotypes are funny so and so we're having a long duck dong situation we have long duck dong is in the christmas on. of 59 yes okay so i guess they used the character before 
you know, I guess uh, it was before 89 or 90 when this movie came out. So they didn't have a chance to use him again in this Right. One. I mean, they, they, that's the whole situation. I don't feel like you're as, as in-depth in that John Hughes world as I I feel am. like I've seen most of most of them. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Breakfast Club is the only one I've seen start to finish. Yeah, so, like, it is the grandparents. The grandparents come to her house because it's for her sister's wedding. Her sister's getting married. And they bring, like, they just randomly have this exchange student, you know, they're elderly. And basically, they just have him and, like, he's mowing the lawn for them and, like, running errands. And it's pretty terrible. But, yeah, they they bring him to come to um, Sam's sister's wedding, you know, when everybody forgets that it's her birthday. Gotcha. Yeah, his description of being basically, like... Huge buck teeth and thick glasses, carrying a camera around constantly, and then everything that he says is written phonetically in racist Asia. It's that's not come good. Come on, John Hughes. Come on, that's not good. <laughs> let's let's. I mean, some of my favorite my favorite author Terry Pratchett. His first book, his main the main character is a horrible Asian stereotype. Uh, you know, one of our favorite movies, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, so, that's that. the worst. But yeah, I mean, so in 16 it, Candles, every time they say his name, there's a gong that sounds. It's so bad. People just want to be racist. And it just, there were some people that it wasn't okay to be racist against. So they're like, oh, we'll just get the Chinese. It's, ugh, it's just not okay. It's just, for some reason, people, they're just always looking for other to be funny. Yes, yes. Um, so we talked about, um, eight millimeter pornography. Right. Um, it is, they're really cheap. If you want to go on Etsy and buy some eight millimeter porno, (laughs) you can get it for next to nothing. Okay. Well, you can't really get a projector. That's probably why. They know you can't actually watch it and you can't verify. That's probably the thing too. Like you can can hold it up and look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I think it's real obvious. Get get your jeweler's, uh, loop and... (laughs) Oh but it gosh. just brought me to speaking of nostalgia. We, we talk about nostalgia on this show sometimes, but in the '80s, every kid on town had a VCR. Mm-hmm. But if one of them had had a porno, it would have been like the most forbidden, you know, back room CIA deal. You know, hidden, locked up in a briefcase, right. chained to his hand. There would have been such a holy grail Marcellus Wallace briefcase going on <laughs> if somebody had managed to get a hold of a uh, porno tape. But VCRs were just everywhere. Now there's porno tapes for 25 cents on eBay. But actually finding a VCR that works is really, really, really tough. And I think the same thing with 8mm. Yeah, it's just, you know... They they knew it would it wouldn't be it's kitsch now people may have it like you can put it on your shelf and it has a label on it people to go ha ha that's hilarious but no one's ever gonna expect you to actually like be watching it that's the thing like it's a prop yeah very much so very much um, we went into the uh, how is cousin Eddie related yes okay so we kind of got it um, Catherine and Ellen are cousins. Catherine and Ellen are cousins, so those parents... So Cousin Eddie's not related at all, so that's like the great aunt and great uncle or whatever? Well, okay, yeah, so they're they're Catherine's aunt and uncle, and so the kids are like their great niece and nephew. Yes, yes. That's a lot of affection for that tangential. I feel like I had a couple of great aunts and great uncles who were who were very happy to see me and like to know who I was. And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't have that experience, but for to come to Christmas, mm. to, I mean, to have, yeah, like just kind of just show up to your cousin. I, I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe people do. That's not an experience I've ever had. We've never really had extended family come in for Christmas like that. That's not been how we had Christmas. An interesting read on Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie did say he had the metal plate in his head replaced with a plastic plate at the VA. Yes. How familiar are you with how you one gets eligible for the VA? You need to be a, you need to be a veteran. You have to have a service-connected injury. From being a veteran. 
Okay. So not just you have to be not just you don't have vet you don't have VA benefits because, just because you served. No, you have to have oh. something service connected that happened to you that causes you to need lifelong medical care. Oh, okay, no, I didn't. So know we that. have a veteran with a traumatic brain injury who mm-hmm. has received horribly substandard medical care and apparently no mental health treatment and is now unable to function in society. And we play it for laughs. Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. He opened these pours poop in the sewer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like these we're working in the same universe uh, when he's in Independence Day. Oh, man. Is that? Oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. I, I mean, because he's obviously he's a pilot. Mm-hmm. He's able to fly. Um, he's wacky and thinks that they're, you know, they're they're living in an RV in the desert. You know, this is a I don't know who this family is. Like, do they need to blink at us because they're they've been kidnapped, even though they, they do feel like they have a familial bond. But it's definitely not Catherine's children. Um, oh, man, because they're too old for him to split out from that mm-hmm. RV and find a new RV and start a new family. I mean, does he have a. A family in the southeast that we don't know about in Christmas or vacation. South, or the southwest. Or southwest, excuse yeah. me. I mean, it could be. I mean, that's that's the the journey in in original vacation is they come. I'm pretty sure they stop and see them on their way to the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Um, that I kind of tend like kind of remember. Yeah, but he feels very much like the same character. But let's also be fair. Um, I'm pretty sure he's kind of become that character. Hmm. I mean, I I don't. He, he seems to be a little suffering a little. He, he does. He does. He's he had a little suffering. like what squattery hostage situations that have happened. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So we're not we don't want to make light of that. But, you know, he, he's become this iconic character. And and I guess the best thing that could happen if, if he is someone who truly has. I mean, I don't know that his his mental state is due to anything like this history. But if his mental he is suffering a mental state. This movie showing all the time on TV has got to be good for him. So if you create an iconic character, I guess it's maybe, you know, positive things from <laughs> from all of that. I don't know. I mean, at least there's probably some some residual fees that at least there's that to probably help out. But hopefully yeah, so. so. But I mean, yeah, he's he plays this whatever this is. But yeah, you're right. The the history is is kind of dark. It's yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the character, you know, if, if you look at it in, in 2021, is, is quite as, uh, as oh, that crazy Cousin Eddie, <laughs> quite as funny. No. But I'm going to try to take that and just forget that and go back to this movie. I mean, that's what, we're, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Right, right. Uh, so speaking, you brought up squatters. Uh, squatters rights in Illinois. At 14 days living in someone's driveway, you would not be eligible for any sort of, of squatters rights. Okay. Uh, it would be about time to... You would probably still have to deliver a certified notification to evict, but so you'd probably have to get a lawyer involved, but it would be very simple at this point to to evict someone. It, it takes about 20 years or so before you can really start claiming squatters rights in Illinois. Oh, which wow. Is pretty, yeah. That's it, long because I don't think that's the case in other states. No, I think in other states it's it's much, much, much shorter. Um, doing the math on the Christmas lights. Oh, how many twinkling lights we got? 25,000. Is that what he lights. said? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 25,000 twinkling Christmas lights uh, of about that time period. They each draw about seven watts. So uh, doing the math, it's about 175 kilowatt continuous draw. Mm-hmm. No residual uh, residential circuit breakers are able to handle anything near that. They would just flip the circuit breaker every time. So. Well, that's a bummer, but I mean, it does show them like auxiliary power, like at the auxiliary, which is misspelled. <laughs> is it on yes. the power plant? <laughs> <laughs> so they they're they're at least like kind of saying like this is an overload, but we can fix it this way. Right. That's how we're we're addressing that. But yes, that that would definitely be far more than any sort of residential circuitry could could handle. Got so. it. Sorry, sorry for my engineering school moment there. <laughs> so the poster girl. Yes. Poster girl, Carrie Otis. What do you know about her? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, this was from her guest jeans Oh, okay. She era. was a guest girl? She was a guest girl. Well, she was a um, an L model in France, I believe, and then became a guest jeans girl. I actually know someone who was an early guest girl. Really? Yes. Yes. Like, you would not know Should it. Should we talk people... about that off air? No, no, no. It's, it's not... I mean, it's not weird. I mean, it's just time and place, like... And when I say you wouldn't know that now, not because 
I mean, in fact, she's one of the people that I I know that like have all was so surprised by her actual age when I found out how old she was. Um, but she that's just not the like she's not a model. She never modeled really past that point. But yeah, interesting, interesting. She was in a pretty um, pretty famous kind of moment relationship. Uh, she was married to Mickey Rourke. Oh, okay. They made the movie Wild Orchid together. Okay. I think there is some kind of scandal at the time. He maybe let slip in an interview that some of their sex scenes in the film maybe weren't as simulated as uh, as you would think one would think uh, Got it. average sex on camera is. Got it. Um, still photos from the set mm-hmm. were actually uh, sold by the producers to Playboy magazine and published in June of 1990. Uh, she promptly sued them that she had contracted to appear nude in a film mm-hmm. with some artistic some artistic merit, and that uh, that did not necessarily involve those rights being translated to a to a men's magazine, and settled for an undisclosed amount of money. I've not been able to find, but good for her. But yeah, she took him to took him to task. Absolutely good for her, and I've also seen Mickey Rourke on the streets of Nashville as well. Mm-hmm. It, on my way to a new kids on the block concert. <laughs> she actually did appear in June 2000, kind of on her own terms, made a pretty decent sum for it. So good for her. Uh, she has um, had some domestic violence accusations against Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Uh, all charges have been dropped. But then again, we still have to always sort of consider consider that. Uh, doesn't appear that Mickey Rourke has ever in any subsequent issue. You know, issue ever been accused of domestic violence? He does have one DUI arrest, but uh, seems to be relatively clean since then. Does make his character though in the BMW film where he's sort of playing a stalker, abusive husband of a younger wife. Oh, I don't remember that one. It's 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 the Wong Kar Wai one called the Follow. It's it's not included in the original. It's not included in the original collection. Okay. Uh, it's a great, great maybe maybe a little less great now because there's no action. It's just talking about following someone and following oh. from a distance. And, you know, on a long road, you can let them go for miles ahead and just keep going and never react if someone turns or does something on, on whatever. And then, you know, he kind of meets up with her and realizes that there might be something more controlling and abusive than what he thought the Clive Warren, the driver, and like, don't ever call me again. And so got it. He, he kind of plays the white knight in helping her get away. I just had a thought that I don't actually know. Clive, it's Clive Owen, right? Yes. Sorry. Clive Warren is, if it's kind of an inside joke. I don't know if you've ever listened to old, old, old school Ricky Gervais podcast. The first podcast yeah, of note. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, so one of the, the so it's uh, Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, Merchant, and... Um, um, Carl Pilkington, Carl Pilkington who's yes. like a friend of I don't know how Carl becomes part of it because he's not an actor he's not I think he was an engineer at the studio okay and so he just says funny off the wall things because that's just kind of who he is and he's talking about a movie where he talks I don't know if he's creating a movie I don't know but he keeps calling Clive O and Clive Warren and he's he's casting a movie with Clive Warren and Rebecca DeMarnay at a time <laughs> is, is there a brain transplant or it's something something crazy I don't know but so pretty much since then we've always called Clive O and Clive Warren just kind of an inside joke yeah. to anybody that's into the history of podcasting <laughs> uh, but yeah so Carrie Otis uh, she's was at the time the oldest person ever in the uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition uh, she has suffered most of her adult life with, with anorexia, eating disorders, mm. and substance abuse. By all accounts, seems to have managed to manage that, uh, is, is clean and healthy now. Um, her autobiography, which is really apparently mostly ghostwritten based on about an eight-hour audio interview she did, and then somebody else wrote it as her... So, I don't know, but uh, her autobiography is on the way. So, it's not on the Forbidden Bookshelf yet, <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, so yeah, we're, we're adding to our bookshelf of misunderstood women. Yes, very much so. I wrote action figures. Really okay. kind of a minor thing. But, you know, there were a couple of action figures in this film. Oh, okay. So, I grew up pretty poor. And one interesting thing about action figures was by the time you get a couple of them enough to like really play out a scene, something else is cool now. Mm -hmm. So I never had more than maybe 
it was I was lucky if I had two of any single thing. You know, I had one Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and one Thundercat and one Dick Tracy and one. So it was really and sometimes they're not the same size. And, right. But it was great, though, when yard sales started happening and you get a whole bag full of He-Man or bag full of Transformers. You didn't get all the pieces, but <laughs> you did. You could get an entire scene going on. So that was fun. OK, so we have what does Alexa have to say about boobs? Did you ask? All sorts of different ways and could not get much out of her. <laughs> tight-lipped on boobs. She is really tight-lipped on boobs. <laughs> like, how many pairs of breasts are in this movie? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, is there any nudity and whatever? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, how does the human... Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I tried, I tried from, from a, a medical perspective, from a sociological perspective, from a legal perspective. Like, in what cities is the bearing of a nipple illegal in the United States? Couldn't get that. Couldn't, which... I think Tennessee might be like one of the worst states on that. So, yeah, That's... time to get some changes on that. Like, let's let's let some ladies breastfeed in public without being an obscene act. And oh, is that considered an obscene act? Yes, in Tennessee, I don't know that. That's I've seen or heard that being enforced, but I don't think so. But it, it's still on the books. So, got it. There are a lot get... of things on the books. <laughs> that seems like the thing that if you were a real dork bag of a cop or a prosecutor somewhere, you could you could really kind of use to your yeah. advantage. Um, I also wrote that uh, my family won't make me want to go to start raving bonkers, but there's a chance that yours could. Right. I think you said that, yes. And then I think we said that about five minutes before air last time that there were some suggestions that maybe I was a little short-sighted. Right. But right. I think we pretty much got through the Christmas holiday without we anybody really being insane. So Yeah, I think I think it went pretty well. I don't know if people were medicated or just in a good spirit which hopefully one and or and oh, hopefully and really you yeah. know um but yeah everything went well everybody had a good time they were it was kind of a little rushed but it i feel like it was almost better that way it was so rushed but it's given us this entire day that we had originally planned to be spending half of it with family to do absolutely nothing except sit around with cats and record podcasts and we mission accomplished yes we, that is what we've done today uh, last thing I have is the statute of limitations on copyright infringement. Okay. Uh, three years. What's from... it that reference to? Like, I don't remember what you were talking about before. We we're talking about how many copies of things that I copied on VHS from oh, rentals or okay. from loaners. Got it. Yeah. So generally, you have three years from the time that you are notified of the infringement to file a suit. There is some difference from state to state to state to state, but generally on a federal level. If you don't discover the infringement within three years of the infringement occurring, then um, then you pretty much are out of luck in a legal perspective. So, so it was like six years. It's about six years. So all those tapes that I copied and whatever that I've always kind of wondered over the years, not wondered seriously, but just just curious. I mean, I know I didn't know you as a child. I knew you as a teenager, and I know you now. I know you well enough to know you're maybe potentially. You were very much a rule follower and could have been like a little bit of a nervous Nelly when people were kind of breaking the rules. So like, did the FBI warning and stuff like that, that make you nervous? Did you think that like a little bit, a little bit. And I have to say, you know, there was, a, there were some days back in the Napster days, which apparently now I can be like F U R I A A. Like I downloaded all sorts of crap. Most of it was stuff that was not commercially available in my area. Boy, I scoured used CD stores trying to find stuff. Man, I, if you could have paid for music back then and it'd be simple to get, thank you, Apple, for handling that. Yeah, but even then, there's some things that aren't on Apple. Like, they're just, there's an era, that era of Napster, there is kind of, there's some things that are a whole. Like, you can't get it. There are things, uh, my teenage years are a weird pre-digital time. Mm -hmm. Anything older than that is either gone or is largely available right just how important was it yeah anything after that was digital the whole time mm -hmm. and, and it's it's still there but i listened to music that was pretty marginal at the time you know from independent music labels on that not you know didn't have huge circulations and a lot of that music is gone and so i've spent a lot of years trying to recreate that catalog yeah our childhood music, it's lost. 
No, right. no, no true raving to it. Yes. If anybody has huge treasure troves of CDs from from Northern California or uh, Southern Oregon, from alt Christian rock, independent, whatever, from like 1994 to 1999, give me a call sometime. We'll talk about a trade. Yep. Forbidden Cinema Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> so what movie do you want to watch next? I mean, we've been talking about kind of going back to the roots, if you will. And, you know, it seems it's winter. It's going to be cold. It's going to be chilly. Like, you know, you're you're trapped in the house. I mean, let's be fair. It's national. You're barely. Except for last year, actually, the, the, the birth of this podcast came from us being literally snowed in. Like the worst snow that there has been yeah, it's, in it's, 40 was, years in Nashville. We've been talking about it. We had the equipment. We just had not done it. And yeah, it's when it made it happen. So basic instinct steamed things up in a really cold evening. It did, it did. So that's what we were kind of thinking, right? Like that's is that what you're thinking? I've got three choices for you. Okay. I just I had two choices for you, but I I've got three now. Okay. We, we did talk about Wild Orchid. Right. So that's 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 an option. That's mm-hmm. on the table. Mickey Rourke. It's mm-hmm. a you know I think I believe that's '90s erotic thriller. Okay. Uh, early '90s, I think maybe 1990. Uh, I've got a uh, cigar box full of erotic thrillers from the 80s and a cigar box full of erotic thrillers from the 90s. Do you want to just let fate decide and grab Ooh, one out? Ooh, it's a little little, uh, little drawing on, on air mystery. Let's do that. Okay, you thinking 80s or 90s? Mm, let's go with 90s. 90s? Okay. I mean, Wild Orchid, let, we'll table that. We'll, we'll get to it. I think this is the 90s box. I'm going to peek at one just <laughs> to make sure. This is the 90s box. Okay. Give it a good shake. All right. Body of evidence. Oh, is that that's that's Madonna and and Willem Dafoe? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Isn't there a lot of talk about his uh, downstairs situation being unreal? <laughs> I don't remember where. Like, I don't. I know. think that's from um, How Did This Get Made? Okay. Yeah. Like, but I feel I don't know if they're referencing other people's conversations, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. Okay, I so guess we, we'll we, see. we will be back next week to report on the size of <laughs> Willem Dafoe's junk. And uh, we might actually watch a movie with Madonna. Yeah. But mo- mostly Willem Dafoe's dick. Right. Well, that's, I mean, seems like a b- bigger member of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like what Forbidden Cinema is all about. Right. I mean, Madonna, Madonna was definitely, definitely uh, forbidden. Just oh, Madonna's going to show back up. As a up. person. Yes, yes. Madonna, Madonna is going to show back up. Yes. Okay. Cool. We, we will definitely at some point point be watching Dick Tracy in HD. And I'm pretty sure from some stills I've seen it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure my parents were really glad there were some conversations that didn't happen on that one. But we'll we'll get into that later. TBD. <laughs> what else you got, lover? I think that's it. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. As Jenny mentioned earlier, Forbidden Cinema at uh, Instagram and Forbidden Cinema Podcast at gmail.com. Y'all, I hope that you had an amazing um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you're celebrating. And as we gear up for the new year. We will see you fools in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.